Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Good evening and welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number 3205. Okay. That's a lot of shows. 3205. And and tonight we're going to have a really special guest on. She's great. Um, she's from Morristown, and I know of this organization. I love them. Okay, her, her name is Maria Vinci Sabatieri, and she is executive director at Deidre's House. Okay, Deidre's House. And that is a center in Morris County for child victims of abuse and or neglect and for children that have witnessed family violence. And it was established in 1994. Now, I'm not going to read all of this because I don't do that, but what I do is I pull from it as we go along. And um, I'm just so happy, Maria, that you're here because uh, I so, so admire what your organization does, okay? And um, I have uh, Lori with us, Purcell. I, she's my co-host on Friday nights, and she's just great. And uh, so um, you can start out just about at any time. However, I'm going to read the mission statement for NASCA first, and I do hope we have people to call in because you're, I just want people to hear all of this. Um, the telephone number here is 646-595-2118. That's 646-595-2118. And, again, we're having Maria Vinci um, Savateri, and she is the executive director at Deidre's House in Morristown. And she's going to tell you all about the programs and everything that they offer the public and uh, how they help kids, and uh, it's, it's just a wonderful organization. Okay. All right, first here at NASCA. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, um, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so two different ways. And number one is, of course, educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. And it does, okay? Number two is offering hope for healing to numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, that's something we're very strong with on the show. Um, I said last week, and I'll say it again, I could probably make a show out of prevention, intervention, and recovery. 
There is a process and intervention, and there's a lot to learn and, and understand about recovery. And certainly prevention is very, very important, you know, to children, to families, for people who have information on it. So we don't have to have programs like this where people come on and they tell their story. We have a platform for people to tell their story um, about what happened to them as they were growing up. And uh, it's very important that parents learn more about prevention. Now, our guest tonight is going to speak about um, the organization Adidas House. Uh, which started in 1994, and um, she's going to explain how they work with children. And I wish we had one of these in every county, believe me, um, as good as Deidre's house. I think we're getting more as the years go by, because I've had, I've had uh, Maria on, oh, maybe, what, four times, you think, Maria? Yeah, like at that. least, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I try to have her on once a year to explain about how they work in these uh, organizations. And um, but her organization stands out. It just simply does. But she's part of there over there, and and I'm proud to know them, and I'm proud to have them on the show. So go ahead and start telling us. Okay, a kid comes in. You know the child is is and maybe with the parents hopefully, and and they're um, said to have been abused. Tell us what you do. How do you go about with what? What do you do? Well, Deidre's House is the Child Advocacy Center for Morris County, New Jersey. In New Jersey, we're lucky enough to have, at this point, each county of the 21 counties in New Jersey has a Child Advocacy Center. Uh, The whole idea behind a Child Advocacy Center is when there is a child abuse investigation, we don't want the very process that's trying to help the child to re-traumatize them. So what Deidre's House provides, first and foremost, is a child-friendly environment for law enforcement to digitally interview, forensic, forensically interview child victims when they're suspected cases of abuse or neglect. So the detectives come from the Sex Crimes and Child Endangerment Unit of the Morris County Prosecutor's Office. They're specially trained in an interviewing technique of children called finding words where they don't use leading questions, which we'll talk about later why that's important. They come into the center in plain clothes. They don't have any weapons on them. We never let perpetrators in the building because we want children to feel comfortable telling their story, which can often be very personal and embarrassing. And we want them to feel like they're in an environment where they can tell their story and it's very safe for them and people are open and willing to hear what they have to say. So that's the first encounter that we have with children when they're suspected uh, abuse or neglect. And again, what's very important to note is we never allow perpetrators in the building. It's a secure facility. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wonderful. Now, what we were talking about before, and this is a, a light bulb going off for us here, at least it is for me, and I do a lot of research here, um, something for people to understand here. In 2019, now that's current, 2019 is pretty darn current, 91.4% of children who experience abuse were victimized by one of or both of their parents. Now, I asked Maria before the show started, and um, she agrees with that. That, that, that's a, uh, that number is correct. And, yeah, um, and I know, and what's, what's very scary is like in the schools and, and what we teach our kids is stranger danger. 
You know, that, mm-hmm. that we assume that someone that's going to harm our, our children is a stranger. And that's not the case. Usually, overwhelmingly, it's someone the child knows, which is very important to know. It's someone they know. And normally, usually, it's someone living in their household. That is so, so nasty. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very frightening to know that children are not safe in their own homes. So when we teach kids about body safety and about dangers, we really shouldn't be talking, you know, we should teach them about stranger danger, but we really need to talk to them about keeping themselves safe and about having trusted adults to tell if something, if they feel that they aren't safe or some, if someone home. Because overwhelmingly, children are abused, and unfortunately, overwhelmingly, it's sexual abuse, and it happens in their own home and with someone they know. Let me ask you something. Um, let's just say, and I, I know that because it happened in my house too, right? But um, when a child is being brought in, you know, to your facility there, um, Sometimes it's not by the parents, or maybe it's by uh, another family member, or who else could mm-hmm. it be by other than family, okay? Someone on the outside. Who else could bring them in? Someone who feels that this well, child could, is... So, so we, we try to find someone who is a family member, but if they can't be brought in by a family member because we don't allow perpetrators in the building, and we don't right. want a child to have to talk about it knowing that the person that abused them could be in the next room. So mm-hmm. normally they're brought by... A caseworker from New Jersey, it's the Department of Child Protection and Permanency. So in most states, it would be a child welfare worker that would, a caseworker would accompany the child for their interview. Okay. Like someone like uh, from um, DICES or uh, CPS or... Right. Um, right. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had CPS work with me, and they were very good when I was a child. So you see... What you're saying here is you, the child comes to you either by a family member or someone from DIFUS or a CPS or whomever, what organization, and um, then what happens then? How do you go through the steps? What are the steps that you do with a child? Well, the f- first thing that we do is when, a ch- when, we, op- when we open up uh, Deidre's House is in a, and if you go on the website, you can see a picture of it, Deidre'sHouse.org. It's in a restored mm-hmm. Victorian. So many times when we open the front door, a child does not know and is frightened about what they're going to be stepping into. So the first thing that we do is we have two child-friendly waiting areas that are decorated with children, uh, 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 you know, by our child advocates in very child-friendly ways. There's a playroom that has puzzles and toys and videos and Legos. And we have uh, dolls that people have donated that, you know, little stuffed dolls that the kids can take with them. Um, So it's a very, very child-friendly area. So when the children step into the house, you can see them physically relax because they're saying, oh, this looks like someone's home. This isn't a place that's scary. So the first thing we do is we have three bilingual uh, child advocates. They speak Spanish and English. It's very their role is extremely important because they're going to be the first people that the children meet with before any law enforcement. And their job is to get the child comfortable in the environment, so that when 
the specially trained detective comes from the Morris County Prosecutor's Office, that the child is ready to speak with them. Because the law in New Jersey states that you only have one shot at the interview. And that's intentional because they never want a defense attorney to say that an interview was started, it wasn't going the way law enforcement wanted it to go, they interrupted it, coached the child, and then brought them back in. So it's very important that the child be willing to speak with them and be comfortable enough to speak with them. So it's very, very critical that our child advocates get the children comfortable in the space. So when the detective arrives and brings the child into one of our three age-appropriate interview rooms, that the child is ready to speak with them. That's perfect. That's perfect. That brings uh, back a lot of things to me. Um, which I'll just mention at the end. But, um, Lori, is there something, how do you feel about this so far? This is great. Go ahead. I'm feeling very impressed that, first, there's so many of you, um, your agencies around. There's so much needed. Oh, my God, there's so much needed. I, uh, I was working with a place in New York, similar to yours, and it does what you're describing, and I kept saying there needs to be more of these. There needs to be more of it. So I like the way you're putting it right out there for the kids, and you can visualize them actually walking into the room, and you can visualize everything that you're saying. You know, and I think that it's a wonderful, oh, best place for a kid to have to come into any kind of situation that involves any part of the system. It's terrifying, and they're already traumatized, so you're much needed, very much needed. So I agree. Definitely. I mean, the whole point is we don't want to re-traumatize a very badly traumatized child. A child should never have to be interviewed in a police station. They should be interviewed in an environment that is set up for their comfort so that they can talk about what's happened to them freely and comfortably and without fear. And so I think that luckily throughout the, you know, the state of New Jersey and throughout the country, we have these child advocacy centers. They're governed by uh, guidelines by the National Children's Alliance, which is the governing body for all child advocacy centers throughout the country. They're based in Washington, D.C. There's standards that each child advocacy center has to adhere to in order to be accredited. So someone can go from one state to another, and there's going to be certain standards for how a child advocacy center is going to be run across the country, which is very important to have this uniformity. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's amazing. It's amazing the work they do. This is why I love having Maria on every year. <laughs> um, well, in Deidre's house, you, you aim to... Um, you work with the abused, neglected, or, or children who have witnessed domestic violence, too, to increase Correct. the child's independence, yes, and academic performance and self-esteem. I mean, you offer so much to a child who comes in because let me tell you something. When you are a child who has been abused, whether it be sexually, physically, mentally, emotionally, or neglected, or you've uh, witnessed um, terrible violence at home, now, a lot of us on, on NASCA have been through all of that, myself included. 
And, and so is Lori. Okay, Lori's been through a lot of that too. Um, many, many of us on, on NASCA. And of course, we're older. We're not, you know, we don't, we didn't have a Deidre's house when we were growing up. Okay, so we went the route that you were speaking of. You know, through the police department. And let me tell you something. That is just plain um, emotionally disturbing. It just adds icing onto the cake of what happened to you. It does. Because, I don't know, I'm telling people out there right now, um, when I was in Staten Island, because I lived in New York also, um, they came right into the classroom, pulled me out in front of my peers, and and then took me downtown, and and they shoved me up on some kind of um, box, I don't know quite what it was, and they hand me a glass of milk and a donut. And then I had to start looking at mug shots, book after book after book. And, Maria, they did this time after time after time. Because what happens, a lot of these perpetrators are either, they're, they're pedophiles, the sex offenders, um, and whatever they're into, okay? Maybe they haven't been caught yet. Because we do know, we do know that um, by the time, the first time they're caught, they've already violated so many times that it's outrageous yeah. over 100 times, okay? Maybe 10 times with one kid, five times with another. And all in all, no, you, you do the math, you can't, you can't mess up with that. The point is they do it like approximately 128 times. And that's outrageous. That's why it's so, so important that if you suspect that a child is being abused, that you report it. And it's so, so important to let children know that there are trusted adults in their life that believe them, and want to help them because we have to catch pedophiles before they continue on to abuse more and more children. Each time someone ignores what a child says, they're endangering not only that child, but other children who are going to be ultimately victimized by the same pedophile. Mm -hmm. And that's just Mm -hmm. a fact because they're Mm -hmm. not going to stop. And normally, once a, when a child discloses, they're not the first ones, nor will they be the last, unless that perpetrator is caught. It is so important. Because, you see, I had it in the family and outside of the family, both, okay? So like we were talking about before the show, um, I, I even as I, I said earlier on here, that 91.4% of children, okay, uh, experience abuse at home, all right. Yeah. Now that can and you and you have it written down as a, as a um, as either one or two of the parents or both, okay. But it can also be um, an uncle, uh, an older brother mm-hmm. or sister, right? Um, yeah. Or somebody else in the immediate family or the extended family. And then what happens so often, people out there, is a lot of times people keep their mouths shut because yes. they're embarrassed. They don't want people to know that this is happening inside of their house or in their family. So they keep their mouths shut. And these pedophiles, these monsters, as I call them, uh, just go gaily on and continue to abuse. They continue to abuse. Um, I go totally ahead. agree. With, 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 with the problem is, is the, there's a conspiracy of silence. Many families think that we can handle it within the family. We don't have to go to the outside for help. But unfortunately, pedophilia is a disease that is very, very difficult or impossible to cure. So a family cannot handle it on their own. They need to get outside help. And 
many, many times, especially in cases of incest, when we have child-on-child sexual abuse, these are the toughest cases because families are very reluctant to turn a child in that has harmed another child in their family. And they think, you know, I'm going to protect this child that's exhibiting these these, these problematic behaviors, and really they're not helping them. They're not doing them any favors because that child that's exhibiting these problematic behaviors needs help too. And most often the reason why they're behaving in the way that they are behaving is because they have been abused themselves. So by sweeping it under the rug and having everyone suffer in silence, that is not the answer. It's not the way to help the child that's exhibiting the unacceptable behavior, and it's not a way to help the child victim. You, we really have to be open about what's happening and seek help. Now, one of the things that Deidre's House does is we say that we give hope, healing, and justice to children because the forensic interview is just the first step. What comes after that is extremely important because a child that experiences this kind of trauma needs to be helped through clinical counseling and psychological evaluations and medical evaluations as close to the time that the trauma has occurred in order to give them the best chance of healing from it in a healthy way. When children aren't given the opportunity to talk about what's happened to them and heal through uh, trauma-based clinical counseling, that's oftentimes when you see children engaging in self-harming behaviors like cutting and also suicidal ideation. And we have to talk about the mental health crisis among children in the United States. There are too often children are taking their own lives to escape the pain of the trauma that's happened to them. And we need to address it as soon as close to the traumatic event as we possibly can. Because when children have to suffer in silence, it just the anxiety and the depression just builds. And this feeling of hopelessness just builds. And they feel that the only way out is to take their own lives. We have to short-circuit that feeling and give children hope that they can process what's happened to them in a healthy way and go on to lead a healthy life. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And and that's why um, it's good like to have shows like here because a lot of people listen, okay, listen to the computer, like I said, or they'll listen later on. It's Friday night, <laughs> all right, okay. So so they'll listen <clears throat> later on, and uh, and they'll hear all this, what you're saying, and it's so important. You have been there, though, since 1994, and um, since uh, Deidre's house um, had opened up, I guess, and um, and over that time, if I have this right, it's 48,000 in Morris County child, child yes. victims that, yeah, since 1994. Yeah. That's an yeah. awful lot of kids. That's an awful so lot of kids. So as you can imagine, you know, in, in the 25, more than 25 years that we've been there, our doorbell has rung more than 48,000 times, and we've opened that door 48,000 times to assist child victims in their journey 
their healing journey. And it's, what's very important is the journey to bring perpetrators to justice so that we know that they can't re-victimize that child or victimize other children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Well, you say that, but I, I think about um, like the time in Staten Island, which is the only time it went to court with me. Um, there were 14 of us, and number 15 was in progress, a work in progress, if you will. A teenage boy was walking down the street. And he saw a little girl being, and she was screaming, and he was pulling her into his vehicle. He never changed his vehicle, nothing. Mm-hmm. He, was so, he was so pompous. He was so sure that he wouldn't get caught, you know. So um, the, the boy was smart enough to write the, um, you know, the license plate number down, and that's how he got caught. I knew the car was Robin's Egg Blue. I didn't say Robin's Egg Blue then. I just said Blue. And I knew the seat covers were plaid, and they matched his, his, the shirt he had on, which was ugly. It was plaid just like the seat covers. <laughs> I'm looking at this guy, and uh, he had a huge scar on his face, which really, really stood out. And um, I knew he had blue eyes because he'd look at me, and uh, he had blonde hair. And uh, I pretty much had a good description, and he held me for whatever reason the longest, all right, out of all these little girls. And he only wanted little girls, and we were all eight years old. So he was not one that would just go out, and if he sees a child walking along, whether they're 10 or whether they're 14, at least not that we know of, right, Maria? I mean, right. this concentration of children, we were eight years old. And uh, so then we had to go into the courthouse and watch the monster get sentenced. Right. Now, you would think... You would think that, now, mind you, the the courthouse was packed with people. I mean packed. Because at that time in Staten Island, that was a heinous crime. Of course, it's a heinous crime. It's it's a terrible crime. But for so many little girls, you you would think, um, you know, that uh, you would expect the, the courthouse to be packed. When that judge, now here lies a problem, something that I deal with all the time, okay, when when a person is being sentenced, um, they don't get enough time. They just simply don't. So mm-hmm. for 14 little girls and almost 15 in the process of, um, this man received three years. Oh, now, my God. The courtroom, all the people, yes, all the people sitting in the courtroom stood to their feet and screamed, he should get life, he should get life, because there's 14 kids on the way to being 15, and screaming at the top of his lungs, aren't their lungs? And yet that was the sentence. Now, here's another thing. Um, The wife, they had three children of their own, by the way, and one was a little eight-year-old girl. I always wonder if he touched her. But anyway, she was starting to petition the court saying that they were going under, they didn't have enough food and all this other stuff. That man was out in a year and a half. A year and a half. That's unconscionable. Yes. Yes, it is. That's terrible. Yes. And so, you see, we believe, or certainly I believe at NASCAR, that there is no cure for this. I I just simply believe it because I've seen it in my own family and stuff. And, And I didn't know how they behaved, and they died that way. I, I don't believe that there's a cure for it. I wish there was. No, I, I have to. I have to agree with you. And yeah. and 
and there is there is psychological evidence that that is the case because what they find is with pedophiles there's some sort of mental um, break with them that occurred when they were a certain age and they are stuck in their attraction to children at a particular age. So it's interesting that he was attracted to eight-year-old girls because that mm-hmm. bears out the theory that somehow something happened to them when they were at a certain age and that caused them to be attracted to eight-year-old girls. The way it was explained to me is in a normal, in normal childhood development, you're attracted to people who are your age. So if you're an eight-year-old, you're attracted to eight-year-old girls. You have crushes on eight-year-old girls. If you're a 14-year-old boy, you have a crush on a 14-year-old boy. With pedophiles, what happens is they never progress past the age that they had that eight-year-old crush, and they continue to have crushes on young children no matter how old they are because developmentally they're stuck in that attraction. So I really believe that that there is no cure and that this is why it's so important to, uh, for us to have Megan's Law registries and for us to really understand pedophilia and by understanding it, protect children from becoming victims of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, look, I was eight, but I was the first pedophile I got a hold of me, I was six. And uh, yeah. then I, again at eight, and then my stupid brother, and I call him that, at the age of nine, okay, he started messing with me. And that was okay, Maria. That was okay. Because my mother said, well, this happens in families, because I did tell her. And that, I, right. there was never any justice, never any justice. They didn't want to face it. Um, and, you know, back in the day, when uh, it was that big court thing going on, and, and of course everything was in the newspaper, they put the kids' names. They put the kids' names. Terrible. So my name, yes, my name was in that paper. So that happened on a Sunday. I was expecting my so-called biological father to come and take me out to uh, Coney Island. I loved Coney Island. <laughs> and uh, sort of my brother. So anyway, we were going to go there. And he was so late. So I went down to the very end of the driveway, and one side was Signs Road. The other end was Victory Boulevard. We owned all that property in between. My guess is that nut, he came in and bought his flowers for his wife because we had greenhouses. So he knew if he dropped me right. off at one end, he could drop me off at the other end, and I'd get home. Now, this guy was not right. a murderer, at least not at that time. Okay. But um, I don't know what he turned into. But, and I don't know how many times he got caught after that. We left Staten Island after being there only about four years. And, and he was out a long time before that. I didn't learn the yeah. year and a half thing until later on. So right. the point the point is, with all of this, um, we have to get the information out. I totally agree with you. I've done many presentations, and I do bring that story out because it's so important. And now I've learned even more from you tonight because I didn't know that they had this thing for when something happened to them. My brother was nine, yes. so what happened to him, okay? Now you have right. me start wondering, okay? And and I'm thinking, well, maybe something happened to him at the age of nine, and um, by the time I was 14, he actually raped me, you know, and that was okay, because things like this happen in families. So you see the family structure, 
can be so, so, so dysfunctional, which you know, for God's sake. Yeah, and that's sure. why you don't want people like them, you know, coming into Deidre's house. So it would be better by someone from CPS who dealt with me, or um, or or, or Dyfus, you know, someone like that. And I, I get that's it. why we also we continually go into the community and do outreach and education events because really the key is to education, to let mm-hmm. families know that this isn't okay, this isn't normal that when you have a child that's exhibiting this kind of behavior, they need help. And by sweeping it under the rug, you're dooming them to a lifelong problem. And really, it has to be addressed. And you're not helping your child by not addressing the behavior as soon as possible. You see that? I, I know there's a lot of people listening, and you're educating them. Okay, because this is so important. People have to get over that that embarrassment, if you will, or, or yeah. you know the shame, you know, of of a, a family member being the way that they are, and they have to do the right thing. They have to. Yes. And I what can I honestly explain to people is that you, when a child has a broken leg, you don't bring them to a dentist. No. So when a child is exhibiting this kind of behavior. You just don't say, oh, I can handle it myself. Would you say, I'm going to set my own child's leg? You wouldn't do that. You would bring them to an orthopedist to have a broken leg set. When you have a child that's having these kind of psychological issues, you have to bring them to somebody who specializes in treating children who are exhibiting problematic sexualized behaviors because they need help. They need help. And most of the times, they're exhibiting those behaviors for a reason. One of the things that we're seeing right now is there's been a huge increase in children that are exhibiting these kind of behaviors after COVID. Why is that? Because families were in very close quarters during this time, and young children were exposed to pornography at, at very young ages. And after being exposed to pornography, then what happens is we have children who are actually trying to try out what they've seen on the Internet on other children. And they're going to try it out on younger children who they can control. So we've seen a huge uptick type of behavior because we have so many more children that have been exposed to pornography. That's so true. You know, people, they just don't care so often. They have the pornography in the house. And, um, well, I, I, I know like with my brother, he had magazines all over the place. He had a little girl. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, she ended up and ended up staying with him, which was unfortunate. The mother was had schizophrenia. She was suffering from that. And she was in the hospital. But so she, my my niece, I'll go as far as to say that, was exposed to an awful lot of things from my brother because he, he, would, he mm-hmm. did things to me. Now, this is what happens, right. Maria. I don't have to tell you this. But, um, yeah, all that stuff does happen. There's porno in the house. And, uh, and one thing, I, I go to daycare centers quite a bit. Now, the COVID stopped a lot of that, but I'm going to start that again. And... Um, there have been several cases in the daycare center where they've said to me, you know, that child over there, um, 
does act kind of strange. And I said, well, what mm-hmm. do you mean it's a, you know, and well, it's a touchy-feely type thing. Well, yes. I mean, in, in private parts. So yes. when this happens, then what's happening in that child's home? Where did they learn she, that behavior? That's right. So then I, my antennas perk up, and I go, oh, boy. So then I have to talk to someone, and I have to get that child some help. And uh, would it be through DIFUS or, I, again, I prefer CPS and some of the others. But, um, but I will report, I believe, this child, and then it's up to the person, the director of the daycare center, too, right. to speak out and say, you know that, to speak out and say, uh, yes, this child does exhibit certain types of uh, behavior that's not appropriate. And, uh, and unfortunately, then, we're seeing yeah. that. We're seeing that kinds of behavior with very young children, five- and six-year-old children, who are yep. acting out on other children behaviors that they should not know about. That's right. So that's, that's a clear right. indication. When a child is developmentally exhibiting behaviors that they are, are, are much more developmentally advanced than their age, that's a good indication that something is going on. Right. When a child has knowledge that is not appropriate for their age, mm-hmm. that's a good indication that something's going on. Right. Unbelievable. Let's bring uh, Lori on. I know she probably has some questions and wants to make a comment. Go ahead. I grew up with a pedophile. Um, my father was molesting me. I'm convinced ever since I was born. My mother was taken to her bed. She was totally a mentally ill woman who didn't function. So everything that you're saying is exactly what I've gone through um, time after time after time. It wasn't just one time a day. It was any time he got me. Um, Things went on, and it was all known throughout the house. And uh, my brother was on my sister. She's younger than me. He's older than me. So... Anybody could spot what was going on. But back then, did you have any kind of advocacy center for children to go to, even if they were in preschool, which wasn't popular back then? The signs are, are immediately seen. I mean, you get mm-hmm. a, a vibe off a kid, you know, right away. You don't have to, like, see a whole lot of stuff. What I've seen was more people ignoring these kids. And today yeah. it got worse. You know, I I know of a couple from 30 years ago who was typically today they would have right away taken the kids away, but they had gone through all the the schools and nobody, you know, from the school would say anything was going on. Eventually, somebody did find out and the kids were taken away. So what you're doing is exactly what needs to be done because pedophiles they don't. Um, they don't grow out of it, type thing. Um, no, my father, they don't. If he was still, he was still, he was grooming my grand, my great, my niece when he was a grandfather. He was grooming her, and that's when I blew the whole whistle on them because she was living in his house, and he told me what he was going to do, and the man was crazy. But uh, they all turned on me, so I never found out other than the stories how crazy I am to even come up. You know, with telling everybody what he did to me, um, although I didn't go to the police, but who knew to go to the police? It wasn't like that way back when. And the family just like threw us out. We were isolated. So there was nobody for me to go to. 
So your place is definitely breath fresh air. And unfortunately, with the amount of kids, even the kids that when they come through all these agencies to you, you got to figure if they're in a family, say they got four kids, maybe three kids, it's likely that somebody else is also being abused that just didn't get picked up. Like they yes. would have picked up my brother because he was really out there, but nobody picked me up because I was so quiet. And right. So there's so many untouched individuals by what you do that it's just sad. It's totally sad. And more has to come uh, and get organized and, have, and out there. I mean, for New York to be as populated as it is, and I'm, I was dealing with just only one, one agency, you know, over so much uh, child abuse that was even reported, they, they didn't handle it, you know. I was like, you know, this has got to stop. We've got to get more people. We've got to get more things open for kids. It doesn't happen always by someone else, you know. If you're stuck in a family, you know, you ruin the kid. That's what happens. The kid gets ruined with no help. I don't know how, how I survived, but I did. I think, don't. unfortunately, it's it's child abuse is very, very underreported, tremendously yeah. underreported. And one of the things that we try to do is when there's been a report of abuse and neglect in a family on one child, we want all the children in the family to be interviewed. And we provide services to all the children in the family. Because many times you'll have one child disclose, but another child is not ready to disclose. So you really want to provide an environment where that child feels comfortable at some point to disclose what's happened to them. And so when we have families in, we just don't concentrate on one sibling. We provide services for the entire family. And we also provide services for whoever the non-offending caregiver is. Because many times they have their own baggage and they have their own guilt and possibly their own history of abuse. That's why they ended up with an abuser. Many times that, that's characteristic. So we have to provide uh, holistic types of services to the entire family, not the perpetrator, but the innocents that are involved, the, the victim that we know about, the victims that we may not know about that haven't been able to disclose yet, and the non-offending caregiver in order to give them the strength to help their child through the process and to do what's right for those children. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a big job, Maria. It's it's a big job. And and you have to look at the whole family dynamics. You absolutely do because You do. You um, do. Yeah, absolutely. Because so often, like you say, that's where it starts. I, you know, people say to me, well, Carol, look at all the people out on the, on the street, how they're behaving. They're looting. They're doing this $995. It's not grand larceny yet. <laughs> okay? Right. Bang, bang, boom. You know, they're going to smash the windows and go get whatever they want. And probably a ring that I like. I can just picture it now. But, you know, that's, that's the world that we're living in today. What are those people teaching their children? They're not teaching their children. Look at the background they come from probably, okay? Because um, they think that it's all right to go out and loot and and hit people over the head for no reason because some old lady won't give them her purse. And and all these other things that you see on TV is real. It's happening. And these children... There's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of dysfunction. 
unbelievable. And you can be sure that in, in those houses there's a lot of sexual abuse going on, absolutely. You know, and, and it, it's, a, it's a shame, it's a crime, it's crimes against children. And uh, if you don't teach your children right, if you don't teach the ones who aren't being abused at home about prevention, intervention, and recovery, if you don't teach them about prevention anyway as a child, then you have kids that are out there and they're, they're prey, P-R-E-Y, you know, to those pedophiles who are out there and they don't know what to look for and, you know, who's good, who's bad. And I've had people say to me, I get so mad, and I say this every once in a while on air, People will say to me, well, I want my kid to be a kid for as long as they can. I want them to enjoy their their childhood and not have to worry about things like this. But this is the world that we live in. And by denying them that information, and there's ways of talking to children, you know that, of all of us. Yes. Um, you know, how you can, you know, how you can sit down with your child and tell them about the good, the bad, and the ugly in a way that they can accept it mentally. And then they, it's a better bonding between mother and child, all right, um, or father and child, or, or just parents and child. Hey, they care enough about me to sit me down and, and tell me about what will help keep me safe. Not just crossing the street, because anybody can teach their child that, but they have to teach them everything, because that's what we're dealing with, everything. And one of the things that we have to recognize, too, is that pedophiles are very adept at grooming behaviors. So, and they look for particular types of children. They look for children that are from dysfunctional families. They look for children that are uh, from families that are in crisis. They look for children that are, are kept in ignorance, that are not yeah. educated about how to say no when someone tries to touch their bodies. Or when parents are too willing, you know, I always say to parents, if your child doesn't want to give someone a hug, don't force them to do that. Because if alarm bells are going off in their head and they don't want to hug someone, they should be able to listen to that inner voice, their gut feeling that tells them, I don't want to hug this person. And you shouldn't force them to do that or sit on someone's lap or give someone a kiss. That's not teaching them the types of behaviors that are going to keep them safe. Exactly. And so often I've even seen that. In the better part of my family, <laughs> so we're, you know, but um, some auntie would come over to visit or whatever, and uh, maybe I even felt good about this aunt. Um, she was fun, she was friendly, and all this other stuff. And um, but maybe sometimes I didn't feel like hugging her. Don't force me. Or, exactly. You know, Don't force someone... you to do it. No, no. And, and then also too, like kids who are hiding behind people's skirts. Like in the old days, in the yeah. 50s, they used to wear skirts, right? To, they, know, they knew nothing about jeans in the 60s. As things started to change in the 70s, whatever. But a child might hide behind a parent when someone comes into the house because that person, doesn't matter that they're part of the family, that person may have been acting strange or made the child feel uncomfortable. If a child feels uncomfortable, there might darn well be a good reason for it. Absolutely. And people, yeah, people have to learn these things. So this is a part of prevention, um, and and parents have to understand 
you know, to get more in line with the children's feelings and, and to look at it and, and uh, not say, come out from behind Auntie whomever um, and, and give her a hug and, and, you know, come on, blah, blah, blah. Forget about it. There might be a very good reason why this child wants to stay in the background. And if that kid wants to stay in the background, you know darn well that there might well be a good problem, um, you know, good reason for it. Yes, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and don't be so trusting. You know, a lot of the times, you know, people accept people into their homes that are not related to them. And mm-hmm. then they trust them with the children. And, and this is a way that children are, we see it victimized many, many times of people that they know and people that the parents have welcomed into their home. The person has gained their trust. And then they leave them alone with this person who is not related to the child in any way. And the, and the child is at high risk from that person. That's exactly right. Maria, um, when I left my first husband, who was abusive to me and to the children, his own children, um, I started going back to the school scene. I went back to people that I knew from school. Those that weren't married yet, ha ha, there's hardly any of them left, believe me. But the point is, I was going out with this guy that I knew from school. I know him for many years. And I thought he'd be a, a good example for my son. I had a good example for my son. And he owned trucks. He had his own trucking firm. Now, what kid doesn't like trucks? I mean, little boys. Are right. right. And uh, so he started asking my son to go with him. And my son wanted to go. He was all excited. He was getting into trucks. Well, it turned out he had a fixation, okay, for my son. He, um, uh-huh. I'm okay, sure. But, you see, he wasn't really that interested in me, was he? He was interested in my son. And um, uh-huh. what I didn't realize, I was downstairs. Long story short, I was downstairs making dinner. And um, it was a condo type of setting, this apartment that I was in. And so David had gone up after being with this guy at the, at the quarry. He was all dirty, wanted to take a shower, which is fine with me. And, um, well, the guy went up, too, and he was going to take a shower. Well, I thought he'd wait for David to be done. This is what I thought. Right. Well, he jumped in the shower with him and soaked them all up. From what I know, nothing more happened than that. And my son was at at the age where he would know, you know, if something more happened. Right. He wasn't like four or five years old. So um, he got the heck out of the shower and almost fell down the steps. Um, with a towel wrapped around, and and, uh, he had some things to say, but I didn't know what was wrong. He didn't say, Mommy, this person, you know, did this, this person did that, or was trying to do this or that. I said, why do you have soap all over you? Go in the bathroom, because it's downstairs bathroom. Go downstairs and and, uh, clean yourself off. My son didn't tell me for many years later Mm -hmm. what really happened. And that's another problem with kids. I mean, okay. a lot of the times what what happens is pedophiles are interviewing you more than you're interviewing them. They're looking mm-hmm. for weaknesses in your family structure. They're looking for opportunities in order to get to the children. And so you have to be really, really on your guard when you're accepting people into your home. And unfortunately, many of the girls that we see that have been sexually assaulted in their homes have been sexually assaulted by by people who their mothers have relationships with. Yeah. And that's just a fact. It's just a fact. a fact. 
And so, and the stats are know, the stats are changing on that all the time. They're getting higher. Yes, because uh, they're yeah, getting higher. Mm-hmm. Because women are, you know, and I and I tell women, you cannot, you have to be financially and economically able to stand on your own two feet, so that you don't have to bring men into your home that can possibly victimize your children, and they know that you're dependent on them. And they think that you're going to accept that kind of behavior towards their children. You have to protect your daughters. And unfortunately, a lot of the times in these cases, the moms, when the daughters first come forward, they don't believe them. They take the side of their boyfriend. And it's extremely unfortunate. Yeah. I'm going off like that because I heard of a case just like that a few days ago. And it's common. Okay. It's very because, common. It's not yeah. unusual. Because the, the the woman wants to have a boyfriend, and uh, she doesn't want to believe that this guy who's maybe giving her lots of compliments, telling her that she's right. pretty, you know, that she's smart, whatever. Hey, Buying her gifts, up without helping having, out with mm-hmm. household expenses. Oh, and, yeah. You know, we've had cases mm-hmm. where young girls have gotten pregnant by the boyfriends of their mothers, and then the mothers mm-hmm. come back and either – First, don't believe them, and then when there's evidence that indeed that the child is the child of the mother's boyfriend, they say, well, what did you do? You lured him. <laughs> you, oh, you flirted with him. It's mm-hmm. not his fault. It's your fault. It's mm-hmm. never the fault. We're talking about children, 12, right. 13, 14-year-old children. Absolutely, and that's so disgusting. You see, you used that lured word. That triggered me because my mm-hmm. so-called father, through ancestry, Maria, I found out he's not my father, and I'm thankful. Mm. wouldn't want to think of him being my father. But he said that exact same phrase with that monster that got a hold of me. He said, what did you do, mm-hmm. lure the man? Eight years mm-hmm. old. See? How so, could an eight-year-old possibly uh, lure an adult man? I didn't it's know what the possible. word meant. <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. But yeah. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. Now, I don't think I ever told you this. One of the police officers went over, grabbed the hold of my so-called father, and took the handcuffs off, and he handcuffed him to the steering wheel of his vehicle. He handcuffed him. And he said, you know what? In all the years that I've been a cop, he used the word cop. All of you said, they're not a cop. I have never seen anything like this. Look at your daughter. So people out there who think that we lure people, okay, I didn't see him after that, okay, not for about, what was it, eight, ten years, something like that. <laughs> didn't want to see him. Um, but anyway, the point is uh, when children then, you know, it, it actually messed with my mind a little bit, Maria, Mm-hmm. I never saw this it guy would. before in my life, and I, I didn't know what the meant, lure meant. I didn't know what he was talking about. So I'm thinking to myself, well, did I do something wrong? See, this is what happens to kids. Mm-hmm. Did I did I do something wrong? Um, did I look at him strange when I was in the vehicle with him, his car? Um, did, do I have any blame for this? Right. And if you come from a dysfunctional home, people don't sit you down and say, I'm very sorry that this happened to you. 
I mean, thank God for Deidre's house because you work with children and you know how to what to say to them. But those of us who didn't have a Deidre's house, okay, when you have a family that says, um, why didn't you listen? Why did you go down to the end of the driveway? Why wasn't I being watched, okay? I'm looking for my father who's, uh, I thought he was my father. Look, left, right, left, right. He's so late. I want to go to Coney Island. I'm a kid. I'm eight years old, all right? Right. And you, you get pulled in. And uh, so, gee, is that what they're saying, that I lured him? What does lured mean? You know, they didn't sit right. down with me and say it wasn't ever your fault. You know who told me that? The CPS worker. Mm-hmm. The CPS worker. She was a good one, right? And that took now, that one of the things that we also me. do, which is very, very important, is um, all the children that we're involved with are medically examined and treated by the pediatric abuse specialist. And yes. people, when they first think about that, they think about, okay, yes, because if the child is injured, you need to know about the injuries and help them heal. But beyond that, is this, it's very, very important part of psychological healing because children want to know that their bodies are okay. They want to know that by simply someone looking at them, someone's not going to know what happened to them and that they do not need to be embarrassed. They need to know that, there's, that their body is going to heal and that this is not going to leave permanent physical scars. So the medical examinations are very, very important. And people falsely believe that these examinations can be traumatic to the child. They are not. We're not talking about gynecological, gynecological exams using a speculum. We're talking about physical exams that are done by a pediatric abuse specialist who mm-hmm. has received training on how to examine children that have been sexually assaulted and let them know in a very comfortable, comforting way that they're going to be okay while they're diagnosing them and treating them and they're reassuring them. It's a really, really critical part of the healing process, not only the physical healing, but the psychological healing. So I really recommend if you have a child that this has ever happened to, really, really make sure that the children get the proper medical evaluations. That's a critical part of the healing process so a child knows that their body is okay. That is such good, good, good advice. I mean, I know people, okay, from NASCAR, um, well, I wasn't examined either, okay? And quite frankly, um, not to be gross, but I was a mess. I will just put it that way, okay? And no one, there, no one I, I was never taken to the hospital, and I was never examined by anyone. Now, you say you don't do the internals is what you're speaking about. But uh, on the other hand, um, a, a good doctor can see because there's bruising. These people are volatile. Yes. Many times they're yes. volatile. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we were dealing with, all we girls who were brutalized, uh, crimes against children. This is what happened to us. So there was bruising even on the outside, okay? Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. And, and then because I was trying to get away from the maniac, <laughs> you know, I got bruises on my legs and, and, and all kinds of things. So, um a person who has any common sense whatsoever can tell. And then, of course, yes. there's leakage. We know this. There's yes. leakage. We'll put it that right. way. So you don't have to do the actual inside because you have the leakage as the uh, the DNA right. uh, on the outside. 
So therefore, you know, today we're in a much better place when a child does get, you know, sexually abused because we have other ways of doing things. A child doesn't need to be, um, you know, traumatized more. Further traumatized. And it doesn't happen. Yes. These are special. These are specially trained medical personnel who know how to deal with children that have been traumatized. They've gone, they're not only pediatricians, but they've also gone through a special fellowship in pediatric abuse. And they also mm-hmm. become the expert witness when it goes to trial because of their background. So they're really the one that it's really, really important because the child, the child will disclose certain things in the forensic interview, and then the doctor can, le- can give the child even more credibility by saying, yes, because physically this is what I observe that corroborates what the child was saying. And also mm-hmm. it's very important for the child to get STD and HIV testing because oh, God yeah. forbid that they've, they've, we've had children as young as six and seven years old that have had sexually transmitted diseases from the sexual assaults that they've suffered. And we don't want them to have long-term medical ramification because these diseases are untreated or God forbid that they have HIV that's untreated. So they really need to have treatment for possible um, sexually transmitted diseases, and they need to have HIV prophylaxis until it's for certain it's ascertained whether or not the perpetrator has HIV or, or not. God's sake. That's right. And uh, back then they didn't even know enough about HIV with me, and uh, I I don't have it. I never had it. Right. But I could have. You know, this yeah. guy was with so many different kids, that, and that's the problem. Those pedophiles out there, they don't stop at one or two or three, no. whatever. No, they're out there every single day, and they're looking for their prey. So, therefore, they're going to be with as many as they can be with. So, God knows right. what they can, you know, pick up somewhere else even, and then, um, you know, then give to the children. It's such an awful thing. It really is awful. So awful. Let's see but, what, you know, we yes. have to talk about it because yes, only by, by shining a light on it, can we actually see the problem and address it? Because well, if we're we all free to look at yeah. it, you know, then it will never be, it, things will never be prevented. Children will never right. be helped because if right. we're not brave enough to look at it and, and, and recognize it for what it is and give the children that the help that they need, then this will never stop. I know, I know, Maria. It's a scary thing because it's been going on for, what, since the beginning of time or something. I don't know when it started. Who knows? You know, and um, it's just something that, you know, we can't just live with it anymore. People, we have to get neighborhoods, communities, um, you know. Now, evidently, I, I was looking at, you know, everything that you have on the website here. You're lucky in the sense that Morristown, and I used to live outside of Morristown at one time in the Madison area. Um, but, you know, you have, you know, people who are interested in trying to keep Deidre's house there. They they plant yeah. flowers and they do it and, and take care of the lawn. They did this and uh, they did some painting. So you have wonderful support from, you know, from Morristown, New Jersey. From the community. Okay? And yeah. I say that we wouldn't be able to do this without our the support of our community, both financially and people mm-hmm. donate their time, their treasure. We have corporations who have been 
loyal to us for many, many years since the founding. Novartis has been with us from the very, very beginning. The Tomlinson family, um, the various pharmaceuticals in, in Morris County like Bayer and Sanofi, who year after year give us great financial support. The Moretti family from Service Metal Fabricating, year after year, they, they organize our golf outing. Intact Insurance, who has been phenomenal in both their monetary donations, but also sending volunteers. They just painted our, our, our playground for us and planted flowers and planted an herb garden so that we can, um, an herb and vegetable garden so that we can give our kids fresh vegetables and herbs. These are the kinds of things, these days of caring, that really make a difference because we have a small staff. We only have mm-hmm. a staff of seven full-time people, and we mm-hmm. are so occupied each day with the volume of children that need our help. The need is always increasing, that we really, really depend on volunteers to help us come in and do projects that we can't necessarily get done. I said, the other day we were thinking to ourselves, Oh, we're, we're short of backpacks because we need to give backpacks to kids that are going into foster care that have school supplies and clothing. And then we also give to the children that we see, we give them backpacks every July filled with school supplies. And we looked around and we said, we don't have enough backpacks this year. We made one call to the Jets, Jets organization, the Jets football team, and mm-hmm. the wife of the Jets head coach has an organization, and the very next day, she showed up with over 100 backpacks that were stuffed wow. with police blankets, school supplies, and mm-hmm. comfort dolls. Amazing. Within 24 hours, we couldn't that believe boxes and boxes of, of backpacks and school mm-hmm. supplies. So we know... and. You know, this support that we get from our community is what really helps us face those tough cases every single day because we know we have a community that has our backs and support what we need to do. And that keeps us going because if you feel alone, this work is really hard. It's really hard. And to be able to, to do it, we need to know that we have the support of our community, that we know that when we need something, we can pick up the phone and there's going to be people out there that are going to help us and they're going to answer that call. See, that's so wonderful. It's so good because so many of these communities, um, they're just not interested enough, you know, Maria. Right. They just uh, or, or they they don't want to hear it. You know, I there's been a couple of presentations that I was at. I've done so many, but there's a couple of them that um, they weren't really interested in, in what I had to say. They were squishing around their yeah. seats. You can tell. You can gauge your audience. All right, and, and they're, they're you know, squirming and like I, I I want to get through this. You know, blah blah blah. And um, I work a lot with universities. I did. and I'm going to get back into that. But um, the only time when I had well over 200 people. Um, at Centenary University was when I told mm-hmm. my story because I was, right. you know, I was in a neighborhood. I'm, I'm nearby, okay, and, and people took right. an interest. So, all right, okay, that's one time. The other time it's classes. I, I work so much with classes, teaching about child abuse. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are going to become social workers. They're going to become, you know, other people who work with, with children, and mm-hmm. they need to learn about child abuse. So I was asked to um, 
to help teach classes with the professors over there and so forth and so on. I did that for years. And then all of a sudden, the COVID, that put a stop to an awful lot oh, of yeah. things. You know? Awful yeah. lot of things. We're just, you know, we have, this year we've been over, you know, during COVID, nobody wanted you to be there in person. We did some Zoom presentations, but that wasn't really great. Yeah. Now yeah. we have, we each week I'm doing numerous in-person things. Just next week alone, I'm presenting to um, a uh, 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 a whole conference of caseworkers, and also mm-hmm. the Morris County Association of Police Chiefs. That's just in one week alone. Um, That's you wonderful. know, last week was a, there was a groups of children that I presented to. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's really heartwarming to me is when children, you know, high schoolers especially, when they step up and they say, we know this is happening and we want to help kids just like us, who are not as fortunate that we are, are kids that are suffering. And they come in, we have a group of high school kids that are coming in to paint a mural for us. Um, we have kids that gather healthy snacks and drinks so that when kids come in straight from school for clinical counseling and they're starving, that they can go to our mm-hmm. snack cabinet and they can grab something to eat. So in their clinical counseling session, they're not thinking about their stomach, stomach rumbling they can really right. pay attention to what's going on and, 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 and the process that they need to go to. So we really, really depend on the support of our community. And I have to say, the community of Morris County has been extremely supportive. And we have support throughout the state. We just had, I just spoke to the New Jersey Wireless Association last week, and they were fabulous. They had a golf outing where we and two other um, charities received proceeds from that golf outing. And those proceeds are enough to pay for six months' worth of counseling for our kids. So it wasn't a small number. And they were completely unsolicited. They went on our website, thought, you know, this is a a mission that we want to support, and they called me. So Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. the kind of things that we need in order to keep doing the critical work that we do. We really need the community and the community support that we've been getting. Well, that, you know, that's just so, it warms my heart, okay? It warms my heart to hear that people in Morristown are like that because um, I lived outside of Morristown in the, in the area, in Madison area, Florham Park area. And um, quite frankly, back then, okay, everything was just so opposite. People... Um, didn't want to hear about child abuse. Mm-hmm. And there certainly wasn't going to be any organization that was going to send donations unless maybe, you know, maybe someone in their family had gone through some right. sort of child abuse and they, they had money where they could donate. So to hear all of that, I mean, that's where hope lies. Okay, that's where hope is. Uh, you you exactly. have your bracelet that says hope. And it, it takes, like, well, how many people, uh, you know, to, to raise a child, okay? There's that saying. It takes a village of people, I guess. It is. A village. Um, and it, it really right. does. Mm-hmm. It really does. You know, even when I started 20 years ago, which doesn't seem that long ago, at that time, the amount of speaking engagements I had was very, very small. These people just mm-hmm. didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to yeah. think about it. Yeah. But now it's, you know, I'm doing multiple speaking engagements a week because people mm-hmm. understand that this is a problem that can happen to anyone and no one is immune. No one. Because, as you know, a pedophile does not look at a child's bank account or their parents' no. bank account. 
They're equal opportunity offenders. It can happen to anyone. So I think that finally people are recognizing this and they're understanding what the risks are and that we and that education is really the answer. Education, well, you know education, education. Yeah. I, I spout that all the time, probably more than anybody on NASCA. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're tired of hearing it, but that's what I believe. So I do a lot of research work because I, um, you know, I like to keep up with the current events, okay, and, and, and the current dates. That's why I wrote yours down, because 2019 and 2020, there was something here in 2020. Isn't that long ago, okay? So, um, but what I'm trying to get across here, too, is that, uh, you know, to be so close, I'm in Warren County. So Morris County isn't that mm-hmm. far away. And what a right. difference between the both counties, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not too happy with where I'm at. I'm, I'm stuck up on a, a mountain with bears and a bobcat. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I keep talking to my cat. You can't go outside. Can't you see that bobcat over there? And there's coyotes, the coyotes. around here, too. <laughs> yes. yes. I'm not happy, Marie. I, I, I'm more of a, a city person, so I, I feel out of place here. But um, so, you know, when you're in a, an element of people, the people, society, people in that element, and they're not open to listening about child abuse, then, um, or they keep it just so secluded and just, in, you know, maybe mm-hmm. like in a little tiny organization, whatever, instead of spreading it out and letting it be, you know, open to the public, um, that's not going to help. One thing no, that is not helping, going to help. No, one thing that is helping, that is helping, is the fact now when you listen to the news. I'm a news buff. I've always been that way. I think I've told you that. I grew up mm-hmm. with it. But anyway, the point is this: um, they are talking about sexual abuse on TV now because it's yes, a thing to yes. do. Okay, I, I want the um, passion behind it, but they are talking about uh, child abuse and because of what's happening at the border, the kids are ending out on the street, mm-hmm. there's slave labor, and, and then there's also children that um, are, are being pimped out at the age starting now of 12. Yes, yes. And, yeah. um, you know, and they're also selling the organs of children. This is disgusting, disgusting, disgusting. No, is they kill I mean, we've had kids the, into the center that were trafficked as young as five and six years old. Oh, God, mercy. Oh. So, I mean, this it's, is it's, happening, and, and that we have to talk about it, because when we don't yes. talk about it, that's when kids suffer in silence. That's right. That's right. And we just can't and that's allow that to, to happen. No, mm-hmm. we can't. And I'm glad you gave me that little tidbit, because I didn't know it was as young as five or six. Oh, okay? yeah, absolutely. Yep. And wow. most of the times when they're five or six years old, they're being trafficked by their own parents. That's who's yeah. trafficking them. I, I, I learned that some years ago. It was uh, in a very urban area, and it really made me mad. And um, it, it just blew my mind, okay, to, to think that parents would do that, you know, to their children. And uh, so you know where they came from, okay, the parents. Mm-hmm. This is where that dysfunction, that terrible dysfunction happens in the, in the family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's, it's terrible. So there's so many things that need to be addressed with child abuse, so many different topics, all the same topic, but, but different parts of it, like what we're just speaking about now, where the parents get involved with the trafficking. And, and people, yep. they look at you like you're from Mars or something. Mm-hmm. What? You know, they they would never think of that being a possibility, and yet you and I and NASCAR, we know this. 
we know that trafficking many times can be from parents too. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Just, and that's why you know disgusting. things like this radio program is so important because it mm-hmm. gets people talking about it. It gives people right. knowledge. And knowledge is power. We know it is yes. because if you know about something, then you can address it. We have to be afraid of what we don't know, what we don't understand. So by talking about it and getting educated, that's the first step to solving the problem. Absolutely. And that's why they call me the mouth. <laughs> My mouth just goes and goes and goes and goes, and sometimes I get hoarse, okay, because I just talk so much. But I don't care. I want people, like you say, to get educated. And, and I try to keep up with the most current events, you know, of, and statistics and so forth. But I want to give Lori a chance here. I know she's probably busting. Uh, Lori, is there something you want to say or ask a question of Maria? <laughs> no, I was just admiring all the people that were doing. I mean, I can't find all organizations uh, like yours down in New York. Uh, uh, actually, from um, we, we put a run on every year for you, um, Guardians of the Children way back when. So support can come from all, all over the place. The only thing that I would have to add on to it as far as places uh, to go, since these kids are so young, I really think that the PTA should start discussing things like this. The last PTA meeting I went to didn't say anything about what was going on with the kids. I didn't mm-hmm. even care. You know, when you're talking about a bunch of stubborn people or even trying to get into the schools, there's the access point to get to the younger kid, and that's what has to be started too. Not yes. have gone through it. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we go into this to schools, where what's unfortunate is we're addressing the kids, and we talk to the kids. Um, you know, we'll talk to kids as young as elementary school about body safety, but unfortunately, when we have the parent programs, they're very sparsely attended, mm-hmm. and it's for various reasons. You know, when you have a program that happens during the school week. Parents are, you know, rushing home from work. They have to make dinner. They're, um, you know, the kids have after-school activities. So what we're trying to under to get schools to understand is the best way, and one of the things that's actually a COVID keeper, is that you need to give parents presentations on Zoom and things that are recorded, like this, this radio show, where people, when they have time, can go back and listen to it. So telling a parent that they have to be at a parent presentation on child abuse at 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night, you're not going to get a lot of parents that are going to be able to attend that. That's right. So we need to get to parents in a different way. We need to use technology in a beneficial way so that we can reach parents that we might not otherwise reach. And the best way to do that is when we do a presentation for the schools to report it, or to televise, you know, televise it through Zoom so that you're reaching many, many more parents and then they actually, the few, and many times it's only three or four, parents that actually show up for the in-person presentation. Mm-hmm. 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 Right, and that's so true. That is so true. And uh, it, it's unfortunate, but, you know, that's, that's the truth of the matter. Yes, we're busy people, okay? Parents are busy people. 
and they do come home, they're tired, they want to kick their shoes off, they want to have dinner, they want to relax, and, and they don't want to be involved. Well, I take care of my kid, and um, but there's right. so much, so so much that they don't understand. There's so many parents because you even speak about uh, violence and, and so forth, and it's so true because some of the people, myself included, um, well, I got smacked in the head when I was a kid, and I turned out all right. I mean, you hear right, that from exactly. People. You know, yeah. well, they don't understand what that smack in the head does to a kid. I mean, it should yes. happen to them, but they might be this person that's down in the bar, okay, on, on Saturday night especially, and they're getting drunk and all this other stuff, and then they come home, and what do they do? They smack their family around. <laughs> right. Well, it's not right. going to hurt him or her because it didn't hurt me. Oh, yes, it did. You're down there at the bar, and look what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? So there's just so many things to take in, in, into, um, you know, you have to think and look at all different aspects of it. You have to. And part of, a lot of times, is being educated, and this is right. part of a necessary parental education. Every parent should know what the signs of child abuse are. They should know how to recognize it in their own child to make sure that their child isn't being victimized. They should mm-hmm. be able to recognize grooming behaviors so that they can right. keep their children safe. These are all very important things. You know, you know, we have a PTA meeting and somebody wants to argue about banning a book and you'll have 200 parents there, which, right. you know, it, it's an important thing too. I mean, we need to hear you know, diverse voices, but it's just as important for the same number of parents to show up and be educated about how to keep your child safe and how to recognize these signs so that you can keep other children safe. Too often we have children in our community that die and somebody will say, you know, I noticed these different things, but first of all, I wasn't sure or it wasn't my business or I didn't know how to report it and a child dies. Mm -hmm. That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. When you see a child that is not dressed for the weather or you see a child that's rummaging through garbage cans or you see a child with unexplained marks on them, you should mm-hmm. not be saying it's not my business. It's everybody's business. Hashtag, it's your business. You should be calling. And in New Jersey, it's important to know that everyone, everyone is a mandated reporter. That's so right. if you suspect a child is being abused or neglected, you need to report it to local law enforcement, your county prosecutor's office, or to one eight seven seven nj abuse You are right. mandated to do that. It's not just doctors and teachers. Everyone is mandated to report. And you see, when we take, when we lift that veil off, okay, that you have to be a doctor, you have to be a teacher or whatever, Mm -hmm. where um, it's everyone's responsibility. It's everybody's people. Yes, it mm-hmm. is everyone's business. And then that make, they feel better about, well, we're all mandated reporters, so I can go over and I can make this phone call. And you don't have to give your name. See, that's another You do thing. not have to give your name. You do not have no, to give you your don't. name. And it's important for people to know that they can be anonymous. Even when they call mm-hmm. in, if they're being pressed to give their identity, they do not have to do it. But what they must do is give as much information as possible so that it can be acted on. They have to, Absolutely. And, you know, how would they really feel? And I, we tried, we had a lot of PSAs during COVID where, you know, we were saying that if you notice something going on with a child, you may be that child's only chance. That's you right. may be the only person that noticed that. 
And mm-hmm. so if you don't report it, that child will continue to suffer and possibly die. That's right. That is awful. So you can't this think, oh, I don't have to report it. Somebody else will. No, you have to report it. It's your responsibility. A child's life could hang in the balance. That's right, Maria. So you and I had this passion, and so does Lori, and so does a lot of other people on NASCAR. We had this passion. And I think this passion that we have, okay, um, is what helps, you know, to educate, to, to go and speak out. Um, some people have artwork. I've used artwork from people in NASCAR for presentations. They're very, very uh, gifted with their artwork. Everybody's got a mouth. They can talk. They you know, mm-hmm. do presentations or even just take on our website. That's www.nasca.org. We have all different um, places where people can go. And I'm, I'm hurrying now because the show is just about over, I think. And you can open up uh, different links. The red blocks have different topics in them. And for prevention of children, it gives all kinds of information about the signs to look for. What I've done in the right. past, I'm going to do it again. I make all kinds of copies on my own. I'm wherever they'll let me hang them. I, I, I even went to the post office when I was living in, um, where was I, Phillipsburg. And they they took my information and they put uh, they put the information next to the ones that were most wanted. I thought it was funny. But, you know, like it gives all the, you know, what to look for in child abuse. How do the children, like you were saying, if they're underdressed or inappropriate dressed, the bruising, walking strangely, that's one way to, to pick up maybe mm-hmm. sexual abuse because children get, you know, injured. They get hurt. And um, so, I mean, anything that looks wrong, you know, make that phone call. Or a child's make behavior that phone call. changes, their grades oh, yeah. are going down. Things that you, yes. you know that you see that they're having nightmares. They can't sleep at night. They're afraid of certain people. Everyone should know the signs. And and I urge people use your social media platforms for good. Take this information and share it widely. Put it on your platforms and share it. Absolutely. So we're always posting like crazy things. I'm on vacation here, or my kid did this. Why don't we take some time to devote our social media space? to spreading mm-hmm. awareness mm-hmm. and helping mm-hmm. educate yeah, people about child abuse. Wouldn't it be wonderful if more people cared? And uh, maybe, you know, because it's on the news now, and then we, like, this show tonight is very informative. Uh, I'm so thankful you're here. You know, and, you know, it'll make people think. Because it's For not sure. a hard thing. For sure. It's not a hard thing to go out and, and spread information like I just said. It's easy. You have to ask permission first though when you go into stores. Can right. I please right. you know, post this? All right. So uh, even in the post offices right next to the thugs, there they are, the most wanted. <laughs> and there was NASCA stuff there, you know, about um what to look for and all this other thing. It's important. That's the thing. It's important. It's and important. and it means something. Okay. And, um, you know, so, uh, Lori, I'm going to have to give you a chance to say, um, you have about three seconds, I think, or something, whatever. <laughs> Lori? Yeah, <laughs> you. What time Thank is you for it? coming on. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. you for having me. You, you know, I, every year I look forward to it because this is such a great platform and you're doing such fantastic work. And it's great to know that there, we have partners out there in doing this very important work. So I very, really very much appreciate you having me on. 
Well, we look forward to having you on every year because, you know, you do so much. You do so much counseling to children. You, there's programs that, that you, you just have so many things that you can offer, you know, society, offer people. And not to, All right, this is Morris County, but, again, that number is large. Uh, 48,000 times you've opened the door, like you said, 48,000 times. That's amazing. And I urge people, look at DeidresHouse.org. Research the child advocacy centers in your county and your state and see what kinds of services they can offer and what services they might be able to offer in the future if they have more community support. Right, right. That's absolutely right. And you see, the schools have to get more involved too, though. Yes, they do. Um, Look, I tried to go into a middle school one year. This is a few years ago now. And they, you know, to speak to the principal and whoever would talk to me, right? <laughs> and they looked at me like I was from Mars. They didn't want, they didn't want that in their school. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you see, when, you, when you're dealing with, you know, schools like that, um, it's very difficult because those are the kids that need it the most, are the kids, you know, the yes. younger kids, the teenage kids, um, all kinds of information like that that we have to offer, all right, that we have to offer. So thank you so much for coming on, Maria. I got the nice. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate it. Well, you know what? You're always a pleasure, and I love talking to you anyway. <laughs> so you know. thanks so much. You know. Okay. Good night. Now, everyone, listen Good to night. scan number. Good night, honey. Three thousand two hundred and five. This is scan number three thousand two hundred and five. Good night. God bless, and uh, take care. Love Talk Radio.